0: Now, here's the part I don't get. I want to understand how come if cars are made better and they're lasting longer, that a lot of you say, I'm going to lease a car because I don't want to have to pay for repairs. Money
1: can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat. It can buy me a truck to pull it. It can buy me a Yeti 110, ice down with some silver bullets.
0: The Car Doctor. Do you mow the one? Do you, do you um, use a snow thrower? Oh, yeah. You pull on that you know, starter cord, that's the starter in the battery right there. If you can crank it, it's not that your arm is broken, and it's not that the rope's not working, it just doesn't catch. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, start your engines, 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie in the car doctor here conversing with you this hour as we continue to motor forth and talk about automobiles and all that goes on with them in terms of repairing them, maintaining them, keeping them, leasing them, buying them, constructing them, and you name it. you got a topic. We'll give you the answers, and we'll have a great time talking about it. 855-560-9900. Of course, we're podcasting as well. Cardoctorshow.com. You can catch us out there. Just click subscribe. Some changes coming to podcasting in the next couple of weeks. So we look forward to that. We'll talk about that more as time rolls on. We uh, just signed the Deal this week, and uh, we sally forth and continue on in our indi- in our independent syndication efforts here. And I thank my crew as uh, we kind of put our best foot forward each and every week. Putting our best foot forward each and every week. Well, our next guest is no stranger to that. He is constantly writing and talking about this industry, the automobile and all that it pertains to. And I'm sure, um, you know, we could probably dedicate two hours to Paul Eisenstein and he would not run out of things to discuss and talk about because uh, he's um, he's just he's this guy is great. This is going to be a great conversation. And I once again welcome back Paul Eisenstein, of the Detroit Bureau Paul, how are you today, sir?
2: I am having a blast. Can you hear that noise in the background? I'm not sure how, how noisy it is. No, but you want to guess where I am right now?
0: Uh, Vegas.
2: Nope. I skipped Pebble Beach this year because I wanted to stay close to the home. I uh, I happen to live only a, about a half a block off of what's known as Woodward Avenue. Oh, so the you're, main motor drag the, of the Detroit. Woodward Cruise. Uh, yep.
0: Yeah, the Woodward I Cruise. am
2: right now standing at about uh, just north of 11 mile. Uh, Looking north, and as far as I can tell, the crowd goes to Pontiac another dozen miles, and it probably goes three miles south. It is four lanes each way, completely, totally packed. I have seen anything and everything from, believe it or not, a Tesla and some Ferraris. I'm looking at an old GT500 right now. There's a 1949, I believe, Plymouth uh over there's a hellcat i by the way i'm driving when i go back in i'm going to be driving the hellcat wide body nice yellow very subtle uh i've seen boats with wheels Uh, i have seen i'm looking right now at what looks like about a 1948 ford f1 uh, the original f pickup i mean I don't think there's a car that I have not seen out here in the last couple hours.
0: Keep your keep your eye out. Speaking of yellow, you, you see a thirty two coupe five window. Um, I'm still looking for mine. I want to. That's the last car on my list for this week. Um, <laughs> but, uh, everybody wants one of those, right? Um, oh. uh, let me ask you a quick question on the slide before we start on our course of conversation. Have you seen this piece on the History Channel about the American automobile industry?
2: No, actually, I have not. I would like to see it. I just haven't had a chance. Worth watching. Tell me more.
0: I think it's on. I think it's on again tonight. Um, they're actually going to show all three parts. It's fascinating. I didn't realize that the Dodge brothers actually started out working for Henry Ford. Yes, they did. And
2: here's a very interesting little controversial tidbit. Uh, they broke off. They tried to get financing. Supposedly, Henry Ford made sure that the banks in Detroit did not give the money, so they went outside and, uh, well, have you ever seen the logo on the first few generations of Dodge products?
0: I've never, I've seen it, but I don't think I've paid attention to it. Why? What is it?
2: All right. I'm going to leave this a secret. You and I are going to talk about it next time I'm on the air. How okay, about that? that's a deal. That's a deal. we'll talk about we'll talk about the history because there's a controversial one and anybody who's listening go out and look at the Dodge brothers logos on their very very first cars and that'll give you a little bit of a hint about well I've already given you a hint it came okay. to a question of financing
0: yeah save it we'll talk about it that's um yeah it's but it's fascinating Walter P Chrysler worked for GM you know, the, the Dodge brothers pass, then Chrysler buys Dodge, starts out on his own with Chrysler and Dodge together. How it all came to be is it's probably a movie more so than just a couple of segments on a TV channel.
2: I'm surprised that we haven't seen more movies about the auto industry. Usually they tend to, you know, the few that we've seen tend to go soap opera-ish. So, uh it was fun to look at that movie some years back on, uh, on Tucker and right. uh, yeah. ooh, Oh, here we go. A Cherry. Cherry Barracuda. Mm. Mm. So don't mind me. I'm going to probably interrupt myself a few times. That's to okay. Because we,
0: we need to get this
2: v- is just amazing. We need this to
0: get is- a video feed the next time we do this.
2: Oh, man. I ran one on my site. You might be able to pull it. I ran about 10 minutes from a, from a cherry picker looking down. So if you go over there on my, uh, on my timeline, you, uh, anybody who's listening, You'll get a you'll get about a ten fifteen minute look at
0: the Dream Cruise. Okay, cool. Um, let's start where I want to start. Leasing's a hot yep. topic. Leasing is is back again. Um, I've got to, oh somebody's having a good time. Um, <laughs> uh, recent article out of the Chicago Tribune that says, and I don't understand this that leasing has skyrocketed in twenty sixteen mm-hmm. to four point three million vehicles. That's yep. That's, and
2: hold on just one second. Where did he go? Sorry about that. I had to get the shot. There is, oh my goodness, there is a DeLorean done up like. Oh. Paul. Sorry about that, That's but right. uh, there is a DeLorean that I just got done up, absolutely like, uh, like it was in Back to the Future. Absolutely amazing. How do you know it's anyway, not in the
0: Back to the Future? It, it might be. Maybe it hit eighty-eight it miles an hour. Be.
2: Um, Anyway, okay, so I'll try to pay attention now. We're on the air. Yeah, we're Uh, on the air. So here's here's the thing. Leasing was incredibly big up until right into the last downturn. And it crashed and burned. Several automakers, GM, for example, they were in such financial trouble that they could not lease vehicles for several years. So you saw almost no leasing at all from about 2009. Through about 2012-2013, it has come back strong, particularly in the luxury segment. Now, there's a few reasons. Number one, people often like to get the ability to change their vehicles as quickly as possible, so they don't have to worry about uh, they don't have to worry about uh, getting uh, getting a new vehicle and and uh, having to trade in and worry about losing money. You go into a lease, you know exactly what it's going to be at the end of the lease. You're going to basically be able to walk away. Some people just don't like the fact that after two, three, or four years, they may have repairs even if they're under warranty. And um, it's just the cost issue. The reality is, in most cases, leases are going to be cheaper. Uh, And, Ron, watch what happens. Watch this space going into into the downturn, the U.S. auto sales downturn that we seem to be going into right now, because the automakers tend to do a lot of subsidized leases in situations like this to try to get people into new products. So we may see even more of a burst of leasing in the year ahead.
0: The, the, the thing I don't understand, Paul, and what you just said regarding leasing tends to be cheaper. A customer brought me a lease quote and a purchase quote the other day for a Ford Escape, I think it was. And when we compared it, now I took the downstroke. Right? They wanted three thousand dollars down on the lease. Actually, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I take that back. They wanted fifty five hundred dollars down on the lease, and with the purchase of a thirty thousand dollar escape, the the lease payment when you add in the down payment, the three thousand and the or the fifty five hundred, it came out that she was actually. They said it was a three hundred and sixty nine dollar a month lease. It actually came out to be four hundred and five bucks, because because of the downstroke. Because of the yeah. downstroke. All right. Then, when you looked at the purchase of the vehicle, it came out to be I think it was three hundred and forty nine dollars, but for six years. So yeah, you're yeah. paying you're paying more over the long term, but in that same three year period, your initial cost was higher. And in my mind, well, I said, I said, I'd buy the car because at the end of five years or four years or whatever, you'll have something to sell. Maybe I'm wrong. Well,
2: you know, it's it's an interesting issue and I, I think that the the best recommendation I can give to anybody is to do exactly what you just did, which is to take the time to actually do your math. A lot of people don't want to do the math. They walk in, dealers tell them, Oh, it's a great deal, here's where it's at and they just take it. Do your math. And and some of the things you may want to consider. Uh, sometimes it is better you're better off if you're getting Something that's a little bit unusual. Let's say you want to get uh, that that uh, really wild orange paint job on uh, on that well, that Ford Escape or your Mustang or whatever. Something that may or may not be in high demand when it's time to trade in. A lot of times, if you if you get the vehicle with a lease, you don't have to worry. Oh my God, is this color going to turn people off? So I'm not going to be able to trade it in, or I'm going to get a really bad value on it. Uh, so there are some definite advantages in many cases. Automakers often subsidize leases, but you really need to do your math. And and that goes with everything you get. People will talk about incentives, but you may not get the lower interest rates that you're looking for. No matter what you do, when you go to buy a car, check the math. Yeah. And by the way, when you do in the check the math, it's not a bad idea. Talk to your personal bank. A lot of banks right now are trying to get in big into auto financing. And in that case, if you're a customer, you got a good account with them, they may offer you a surprisingly low interest rate even better than some of the rates you get at the dealership.
0: Yeah, and we've, and we've seen that as well. Hey, Paul, take a seat, pull over, and just enjoy the cruise for a couple of minutes. And uh, we're going to pull over and do a couple of things here. We'll be right back, and we'll have this conversation to continue. And uh, maybe you can tell us if that DeLorean has a flux capacitor or not, and if it's working. Go take a look. I'm Ron Anini and The Car Doctor. We're here with Paul Eisenstein of thedetroitbureau.com. We'll both be back right after this. <coughs> Welcome back, Ron and in the Indiana Car Doctor. We're here with Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau. Paul, you're still there? Or are you uh, drooling over cars coming down Woodward Ave?
2: Oh, I am here. I'm just having a blast. I uh, I keep trying to count how many uh, how many uh, really unusual cars I keep seeing go by me, and I definitely lost count on how many muscle cars classics. This is just just something. If you you know anybody who has uh, a love of cars and wants to have a bucket list, if you don't have the Woodward Dream Cruise on it. Well, bu- you are somehow your
0: your your buckets half empty. Um,
2: yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, listen, I'm on your I'm on your webpage, theDetroitBureau.com, and I'm looking for this feed. I thought I'd put it up on our Facebook page. I don't see it. Are you sure it's there?
2: No, we have it on. Uh, it should be. There should be a link to my live feed that I put out there just a little while ago, somewhere on the uh, on my Facebook page.
0: Oh, on your Facebook page. Okay. Facebook
2: page. Yeah, no, I don't have it. Unfortunately, we don't have live video on the site yet. That's coming with okay. the redesign we have coming. Tom, but, would you get uh, over to
0: Tom? Go over to Paul Eisenstein's Facebook page and share it from his page to ours, so the listeners, um, if they don't find it on one, they'll find it on the other. They can get out there and look at it. Um, Fantastic! Uh, I want them to and,
2: see. And uh, you will see a full report later today and uh, more over the weekend on the Woodward Dream Cruise. So uh, we sure, will have sure we lots will, we'll of photos, watching. interviews. And all sorts of fun things. And by the way, one of the cars I'm looking at right now, I'm actually over at the uh, the headquarters, if you will, of Ford Motor Company, which is uh, for headquarters for the Dream Cruise. Uh, they've been the big automotive sponsor right now. And there's a couple of lovely machines here uh, that I'm looking at. One is an F1, the 1948 first vehicle to carry the F designation. That's pretty cool. As a matter of fact, I'm going to try to drive it later. But... Uh, there's another one just nearby, and it's a 1920 Ford TT. Do you know what that is? No. That is the very first pickup truck. It actually was uh, built first in 1917. Uh, Ford doesn't have one of the originals, but it does have a beautifully restored 1920 model.
0: Wow you know it's it's you know going back to that history channel presentation, Ford Motor Company created the middle class in America pretty much yeah, you know, because they were coming to work in Detroit, and Henry Ford offered workers five dollars a day at the time when everybody was making two fifty. And they were—they said—they say was, people were lined up around the block trying to get to work for five dollars a day. He created the middle yep. class by giving people more money in their pockets than any any time in previous history. But just—just—just just, just crazy. Um, crazy. Here's a little stuff. tidbit. Yeah. Do you know
2: why Ford went to five dollars a day? No. Work in the auto industry back then on the assembly line was a grueling, horrible, horribly difficult job. A lot of people got killed. A lot of people got permanently injured. And uh, the the uh, turnover at the plants was measured in the hundreds of percent a year, meaning uh, there was a good shot that uh, that any particular job in the line would see two, three, even four people work that job over the course of a year. And of course, we all know when you have constant turnover, it leads to quality and uh, and productivity issues. So Ford finally said, I've got to pay these people a, a wage. Uh, commensurate with what they're doing now it also worked out that that made it possible for them to buy his cars so he helped create a middle class and a market for the automobile
0: he was he was an innovator he was definitely ahead of his time paul before our time runs out let me let me just touch on two other things one is i want to go back to leasing we do get some comments and questions about high mileage leasing does it exist does it make sense
2: You know, one of the things that you have to think about if you are leasing is how much you drive. And that is where a lot of people get burned. What they do is they wind up, they wind up unfortunately, they, um, they wind up trying to get a standard lease, not thinking about how much they drive. And at the end of the lease, instead of the, say, 10,000 miles or 12,000 that they, they had negotiated, they wind up putting on 15000 and they could wind up paying thousands of dollars more uh, to get out of the lease, to, to end the lease. So always think about how much time you are going to drive, how many miles you're going to drive, and if need be, negotiate because they have rates for additional miles.
0: And I guess it could be said that leasing is really an alternative form of financing at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like anything else, if you're looking at multiple play- ways of financing. You need to be thinking which one is the best one for you. And, you know, there, there are a lot of different leases. It's not like you walk into a showroom and you have just, whoops, sorry, I think there's a little bit of wind noise here. Uh, it's not like you only have one loan you can do, one time, you know, one stretch. You can only do a four or five or six. And there are multiple leases. You can go to multiple sources. Another tip Make sure when you go to buy, you ask the dealer, do you have other financing options? Remember, the dealers are very often incentivized uh, to offer you a particular lender and a particular loan. But you can ask and they may offer you something else if you demand it
0: yeah understandable. Hey Paul stick on the line. I got one more question I want to ask you regarding autonomous cars and I know you've got the answer for us. I'm Ron in the car doctor. we're talking to Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit bureau.com. We'll be back right after this. Andy, the car doctor here at eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. We're talking with Paul Eisenstein, having a nice conversation about cars and everything else from the dot com. Paul, how's Woodward going? Still rolling along?
2: <laughs> it's wonderful. I just talked to a young man who's uh, uh, in from Virginia. And by the way, we have had people here that have come as far away as Australia for this event. Uh, this young man only made it from Virginia, but being that he's ten years old, I'm impressed. Yeah. Uh, his favorite car. Uh, the uh, the brand new Ford GT that I'm standing in front. I asked him uh, if he was planning to buy it. He said, "Well, he may take out a loan later today." I uh, asked him. Uh, he knew there was four hundred thousand. He had a very good answer. He said, "May take me a while to pay it off."
0: Well, you know, I'm sure Ford would figure out a way to arrange the financing. They're they're kind of always you know anything to sell a car, right? They would uh, exactly. They would make it happen. Yeah,
2: they they would work with them. I'm yeah, sure they I'm would. Sure. I'll talk. I'll talk with one of the guys later.
0: He's, he's young enough. If they gave him 30 years to pay it off, he'd only be 40 at that time. So, uh, and, you
2: know, here's uh, the thing about it. That car, considering a limited edition, by the time he gets to 40 years old, he'll be able to retire by selling it.
0: Right, exactly, if there's gasoline. Which brings me to my second question that I wanted to ask yeah. you. So I was on the com, and I read your comments and your article about autonomous cars. So to bring the listeners up to speed, Ford wants to do away with drivers by 2021. So we just get... uh,
2: not not do away with drivers, but they want to give. They're going to bring out their very first fully driverless vehicle uh, by 2021. So and, what and does that mean? What it's, it means that there won't. There may not even be a steering wheel in the car for somebody to take control if they want to. Now I should tell you that the first generation of driverless vehicles will probably wind up going into things like Uber and Lyft and some of those other ride-sharing fleets because uh, those companies figure that if they can take the driver out of the car, they're going to cut the cost of what it takes to get a ride in one of those services, or a taxi, if you will, by, you know, 60 70 80%. And it'll become so inexpensive to ride one of those that you may, many people uh, who just, you know, and the reality is a lot of people really don't care just want to get from point a to b well it may get so inexpensive that you may just wind up saying heck with the car i don't want it i can just hit my iphone and have the car come and pick me up wherever and whenever i want
0: so do the car companies look at that i mean that has to be on their agenda to say oh yeah we're now going to take car ownership out of the picture and just you know." We won't, need, you know, we won't need as many cars if everybody's just driving that same car. If you've got 10 people sharing one car, you've got nine less vehicles you're selling.
2: Well, that's one of the big issues that a lot of people worry about uh, in the auto industry. What will it mean? And to tell you the truth, uh, there are probably as many different scenarios laid out by the automakers As, you you know, if you ask somebody how to manage the U.S. economy, they say there's an answer for every economist. Well, if you talk to auto people about what the era of autonomous, driverless, and car sharing means, uh, you'll get a different answer from everyone. The general consensus is, though, we will probably see, you know, if you have 100 people, you'll probably have fewer cars being purchased by those 100 people going forward.
0: So what happens when that car rolls into the repair shop. And I was thinking of this just this morning. I said, when that car rolls into the repair shop, it's driverless, right? So mm-hmm. what, what would prevent Uber from saying, send number 213 over to RA Automotive and let them fix it? And the car will roll in. I'll plug in my scan tool. It'll say it needs a left front servo motor, a right rear capacitor, and a, and a, and a miniaturized circuit board. I'm just going to put those parts in. There's nobody there for me to say, you know, it's not like today. Well, Ron, you know, the tires are bald, but I can get another two months out of them, let it go. The brakes are last me until the next oil change. Everything's got to be top flight now, right? There's no, there's no cutting corners anymore when, it, when, it, when it'll come time to repair the car. Well, you're right.
2: Uh, it probably will be the case. Now, one of the interesting things about a lot of the future cars is that we're going to see a level of reliability, or so they tell us, that we've never seen before. And uh, remember that in an electric vehicle, you should have fewer things to go wrong. Now, I say you should have, because while we don't have specific data from Tesla, a lot of people who I know who've been following the company insist that at least early on, they were having some serious problems. A lot of their batteries bricking, as as it's called, when the batteries have problems and they fail catastrophically, and they simply will not recharge. So uh, it's a big if. All that we talk about with all the new changes coming, electric, uh, autonomous, auton- autonomous car sharing, all this stuff, it's a lot of ifs. You know, this sort of stuff you take to the bank in Vegas, you put a bunch of money on and you either lose a lot or you wind up making a lot of money because it's very, very hard to predict <laughs> Among other things, how Americans will accept all of this? Will people really be happy not having to own a car, getting into a vehicle where there's no driver? In fact, there may be no steering wheel.
0: That's a problem. And it's driving electric. Yeah, well, and that's you know I've got to think that's a problem. Uh, we took an informal survey at the shop two weeks ago. Everybody that walked in over the course of the week, and we probably had I think the last number was we had 78 people walk through the door in the course of the week, three people said they would get into a car with, you know, self-driving where they can't take control. Uh, you know what? I think we're control freaks. I think we want to be able to have the comfort of that steering wheel. It's like a baby pacifier. It makes us feel good. And I yeah, think it's, 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 it's got to be it's there. Ob-
2: it's obviously something that how you ask it, who you ask it, when you ask it will have a lot of influence. I see surveys that still say there's a sizable percentage of the American public that does not want to have fully autonomous and even driverless vehicles, but I will tell you that the number has been growing. The number of people that will accept this has been growing every year, and I think you're probably going to find that more acceptable among people who are used to getting into a vehicle uh, and having somebody drive for it, particularly in urban situations. A lot of folks who are, you know, used to getting in cabs, and I got to tell you something, if you drive a lot inside or you ride a lot in a new york cab i might feel safer having the car drive for me
0: well that's true too and i agree with that uh you know there are there are cases where that applies but here i'll bounce one back at you can you imagine that woodward cruise if it was all self-driving cars where would the fun in that be
2: I am trying to figure out, could you program it so that every uh ninety seconds it spins the tires
0: well right well we'll have to will have to get back to you on that and, one. and and then you know there's nobody with their elbow hanging out, looking cool, hanging out, just you know laid back in the seat it's just it's a change to the culture and it, it bring, absolutely it brings me back to my very first thought when we started this conversation about leasing in that cars are a lifestyle. And I don't know if we're ready to give up the lifestyle all the way yet. I just don't think well, it's going to happen. You hit
2: on two things, and I'll give you two, two quick answers. One, uh, one of the things I think will work against car sharing and all this is that we throw a lot of our stuff in cars. We personalize cars. And so until you can make it possible for me to sort of personalize my, my ride sharing ride, that's going to be something that works against it. Uh, particularly when it's talking about at home as opposed to um, when you're traveling. Uh, Though, you know, going forward, you're going to have your smartphone app will store things like your radio preferences, your temperature preferences, and things like that. You get into the car, it'll automatically program that autonomous or, or driverless vehicle so that your favorite station comes on at the volume you like and so on. So that may help a little bit there. Uh, as to the idea of a self-driving vehicle, at least one that still has a wheel, the best answer I ever got was from the former CEO and chairman of BMW, Ben Fischer reader. And what he said to me when I asked him very first time about why that company, this is going back 20 years, they were one of the first, why they're working on self-driving vehicles. And he said, look, when I come to work from my home, which is up in the foothills of the Bavarian Alps in the morning, I am crawling along in traffic. It is no fun to drive. I'd rather either nap or get more work done rather than having to sit there frustrated. But in the evening when I go home and traffic's light because I work so late, all I want to do is flip it into manual mode and have a blast driving. Right. You know what? That makes
0: sense. That, that makes sense to me. Here's the one that won't make sense. What about the people that, A, have to carry something like a wheelchair in the trunk? What? What about the well? People, that's you, you know.
2: That's that's the question. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Uber, if I remember correctly, just got in trouble in a couple cities for not having enough vehicles that were uh, were accessible for uh, for drive. You know, for vehicles for people, I should say, who have various handicaps. Right. So yeah. uh, that's a big question. Yeah. I don't think, unlike some people, I don't think that the personal car will completely go away, but. Uh, I think we're going to see change occur, and I think that we're going to see a lot more ride-sharing. And driverless, or at least autonomous vehicles, over the next decade.
0: Yeah, I agree, Paul. As always, sir, a great pleasure. I want to thank you for taking time, especially to, for us to be the distraction from Woodward. We know how much uh, we know how much work that was. How hard that was. <laughs> this has been a pleasure. Um, it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. And uh, we'll talk about the pussycats next time. I got to go. The clock's up against me. You have a good time with the rest of the Woodward Cruise. Paul Eisenstein, ladies and gentlemen, the DetroitBureau.com. We say goodbye, and I'm running Andy in the car, doctor. I'll be back right after this. The car doctor, Boy, Paul Eisenstein there's a guy who just um, he knows cars that's for sure more information at thetroybureau.com but he, he makes some good points so what's going to happen and I was talking to Tom Ray uh, during the break there we were talking about self-driving cars Tom goes out and does uh, radio station maintenance um, what were you saying Tom Jump, jump in there. there. There are places, for example, in Elmira, New York, I have a transmitter
1: facility I go to. It has no street address. In fact, it has no street. Um, the only way the GPS would know how to get there, or the self-driving car, is you put the geographic coordinates in. And as you're coming down this dirt road, the power line that goes up the hill goes over your head. And at that point, my GPS goes, turn left. Well, if I turn left to follow the power line... I immediately go. I would immediately go down 200 feet and hit the bottom of a gully. That ain't gonna
0: work. And
1: it's like you have to go past to get to the access road,
0: right? So, and there's a case where it just won't work. And and uh, so, you know, are we back to? I remember 15, 20 years ago, I read an article that talked about they weren't trying to get all the cars to get high mileage. They weren't trying to get all the cars to be hybrid or electric or whatever. They wanted to have an alternative fueled fleet, an, alter- an alternate fueled fleet of approximately 12 to 15%. And they said if 12 to 15% of the fleet was powered by something other than gasoline, you would see the price of gasoline drop under a buck a gallon, which. If you look at the current situation, there you know this glut of oil I mean, I just paid two twenty nine for a gallon of gas this morning, and that's in New Jersey when they added the seventy cent a gallon tax. It would be under two bucks a gallon if it wasn't for the dopes in Trenton um doing what they did, but you know it's you can see the price of gas coming down and 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 that's huge, so now you've got to ask yourself. All right, self-driving cars. Now, the argument for self-driving cars, besides being electric, as I understand it, is also what Paul pointed out that the president of BMW discussed in that the traffic jams, and you can do work while you're sitting in the electric car. A friend of mine, Mark, lives in L.A., around the L.A. area. His neighbor has a Tesla. I spoke to Mark. I think I told you this story, and I spoke to Mark. Mark recently and mark said they went into la and they programmed it for the for his address and the tesla once they got out on the highway the tesla took over and drove the car and mark said they spent an hour and a half two hours on the freeway in traffic zooming along doing what they were doing texting and looking at the sites and you know napping and so forth and when they got to the point where they were you know 10 blocks away they had to take over and drive but he said it's the scariest neatest feeling in the world at the same time and you know is that what we're trying to do there was no traffic in the tesla lane and that's what they're trying to get rid of is the idea of traffic and as hard as it is for us to understand the rubbernecking and, and oh look at the accident and everybody loves to watch a train wreck you know autonomous cars will take that away i just don't think we're ready for it especially something without a steering wheel and, you know, you said before about the price of
1: gas coming down, you know, a certain percentage, the price of gas to come down below a buck. You know that the petroleum companies are going to want to make that up someplace. Now I heat my house with fuel oil. What's going to happen to that? Is that going to go up? Right. Because this is going to, and it's like, you know,
0: there's going to be a drastic effect on the economy. Well, two things, and then we'll go to break. Number one is that if we have all electric vehicles, there's no more gas tax. If we're selling less gas, there's no more gas tax. How are we fixing the roads and the infrastructure? That's number one. Number two, I'll tell you when I come back because we're running out of time. Ron and Andy and The Car Doctor, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and, Andy and The Car Doctor here, eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero 560 is the 24-7 number. I should point that out, 855-560-9900. You can call, leave a message, and Motorhead Matt will put you in queue for the next live broadcast. We are live on the radio network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And, um, you know, we are here for you during that time. So just because you don't get us in your neighborhood or you're podcasting or you're in Australia or some other place, um, you know, you can call 855-560-9900. Leave a message. Motorhead Matt will get back to you and get you in queue. And we like to answer the questions up here on air. We want to do it so for everyone's benefit. Everybody gets a piece of it and, uh, you know, gets a little bit of knowledge and education. That's really what this radio show is and has and always will be about. My second point. That I wanted to talk about was, so with less cars being sold, right, we just established the fact that maybe out of 10 people, we'll just need to sell one car to service 10 people. That's nine less cars that they're selling per 10 or per 100 or whatever the number is. What about repair shops? There's going to be less to fix. There'll be less of a need for a repair shop. So the cost of doing business for a repair shop will change, the cost of doing business for a dealership will change, and I guess it really depends on how whole hog we go on autonomous vehicles, but I see an awful lot of change coming up as about as a result. Tom brought up an excellent point that we're not going to get into too deep, but just the fact that with less vehicles being sold, there'll be less sales tax collected. And where are we going to get the budget from to fill the state coffers, and how's that going to work? I can see a tax being exercised, maybe revolutions per minute or megahertz per cycle on the electric cars in terms of how they're going to charge and charge for them in order to operate. Where will it end? I'm Ron Anany and The Car Doctor, reminding you, while I can, so I can, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See you.